Section 10 of the French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Golding. The French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1, Book 2, Chapter 6, Windbags. So marches the world in this its paper age, or era of hope. Not without obstructions, war explosions, which, however, heard from such distance, are little other than a cheerful marching music. If indeed that living chaos of ignorance and hunger, five and twenty million strong, under your feet, were to begin playing. For the present, however, consider Longchamp, now when Lent is ending, and the glory of Paris and France has gone forth as an annual want. Not to assist at Tenebris Mass, but to sun itself, and show itself, and salute the young spring. Manifold, bright-tinted, glittering with gold, all through the Bois de Boulogne, in long-drawn, variegated rows, like long-drawn living flower-borders, tulips, dahlias, lilies of the valley, all in their moving flower-pots of new-gilt carriages, pleasure of the eye and pride of life. So rolls and dances the procession, steady, of firm assurance, as if it rolled on adamant and the foundations of the world, not on mere heraldic parchment, under which smoulders a lake of fire. Dance on, ye foolish ones, ye sought not wisdom, neither have ye found it. Ye and your fathers have sown the wind, ye shall reap the whirlwind. Was it not, from of old written, the wages of sin is death? But at Longchamp, as elsewhere, we remark for one thing, that dame and cavalier are waited on each by a kind of human familiar, named jockey. Little elf or imp, though young, already withered, with its withered air of premature vice, of knowingness, of completed elfhood useful in various emergencies. The name jockey comes from the English, as the thing also fancies that it does. Our Anglomania, in fact, is grown considerable, prophetic of much. If France is to be free, why shall she not, now when mad war is hushed, love neighboring freedom? Cultivated men, your Dukes de Léoncourt, de la Rochefoucauld, admire the English constitution, the English national character, would import what of it they can. Of what is lighter, especially if it be light as wind, how much easier the freightage. Non-admiral Duc de Chartres, not yet d'Orléans, or Egalité, flies to and fro across the strait, importing English fashions. This he, as hand and glove with an English Prince of Wales, is surely qualified to do. Carriages and saddles, top-boots and redingotes, as we call riding-coats, nay, the very mode of riding, for now no man on a level with this age but will trot à l'anglaise, rising in the stirrups, scornful of the old sit-fast method, in which, according to Shakespeare, butter and eggs go to market. Also he can urge the fervid wheels, this brave chartre of ours. No whip in Paris is rasher and surer than the unprofessional one of Monseigneur. Elf-jockeys we have seen, but see now real Yorkshire jockeys and what they ride on and train. English racers for French races, these likewise we owe first, under the providence of the devil, to Monseigneur. Prince d'Artois also has his stud of racers. Prince d'Artois has withal the strangest horse-leech, a moon-struck, much-enduring individual, of Neuchâtel in Switzerland, named Jean-Paul Marat, a problematic Chevalier d'Ion, now in petticoats, now in breeches, is no less problematic in London than in Paris, and causes bets and lawsuits. Beautiful days of international communion, Swindlery and blackguardism have stretched hands across the channel, and saluted mutually. On the race-course of Vincennes or Sablon, B. 
behold in English curricle and four, wafted glorious among the principalities and rascalities, an English Dr. Dodd, for whom also the two early gallows gapes. Duke de Chartres was a young prince of great promise, as young princes often are, which promise unfortunately has belied itself. With the huge Orléans property, with Duke de Pontrièvre for father-in-law, and now the young brother-in-law Lamballe killed by excesses, he will one day be the richest man in France. Meanwhile, his hair is all falling out, his blood is quite spoiled, by early transcendentalism of debauchery. Carbuncle stud his face, dark studs on a ground of burnished copper. A most signal failure, this young prince. The stuff prematurely burnt out of him, little left but foul smoke and ashes of expiring sensualities. What might have been thought, insight, and even conduct, gone now, or fast going, to confused darkness, broken by bewildering dazzlements, to obstreperous crochet, to activities which you may call semi-delirious, or even semi-galvanic. Perry affects to laugh at his charioteering, but he heeds not such laughter. On the other hand, what a day, not of laughter, was that when he threatened, for lucre's sake, to lay sacrilegious hand on the Palais Royal Garden. The flower parterres shall be riven up, the chestnut avenues shall fall, time-honoured bocage, under which the opera hamadryads were wont to wander, not inexecrable to men. Perry moans aloud, Philidor from his Café de la Régence shall no longer look on greenness. The loungers and losers of the world, where now shall they haunt? In vain is moaning, the axe glitters, the sacred groves fall crashing, for indeed Monseigneur was short of money. The opera hamadryads fly with shrieks, Shriek not, ye opera hamadryads, or not as those that have no comfort. He will surround your garden with new edifices and piazzas. Though narrowed, it shall be replanted, dizened with hydraulic jets, cannon which the sun fires at noon, things bodily, things spiritual, such as man has not imagined. And in the Palais Royal shall again, and more than ever, be the sorcerer's Sabbath and Satan at home of our planet. What will not mortals attempt? From remote Anronay in the Viviret, the brothers Montgolfier send up their paper dome, filled with the smoke of burnt wool. The Viviret Provincial Assembly is to be prorogued this same day. Viviret Assembly members applaud, and the shouts of congregated men. Will victorious analysis scale the very heavens, then? Paris hears with eager wonder. Paris shall ere long see. From Réveillon's paper warehouse there in the Rue Saint-Antoine, a noted warehouse, the new Montgolfier airship launches itself. Ducks and poultry are born skyward. But now shall men be born. Nay, chemist Charles thinks of hydrogen and glazed silk. Chemist Charles will himself ascend from the Tuileries garden, Montgolfier solemnly cutting the cord. By heaven he also mounts, he and another? Ten times ten thousand hearts go palpitating. All tongues are mute with wonder and fear, till a shout, like the voice of seas, rolls after him on his wild way. He soars, he dwindles upwards, has become a mere gleaming circlet, like some turgotine snuff-box, what we call turgotine platitude, like some new daylight moon. Finally he descends, welcomed by the universe. Duchess Polignac, with a party, is in the Bois de Boulogne, waiting, though it is drizzly winter, the 1st of December, 1783. The whole chivalry of France, Duc de Chartres foremost, gallops to receive him. Beautiful invention, mounting heavenward so beautifully, so unguidably, emblem of much, and of our age of hope itself, which shall mount, specifically light, majestically in this same manner, and hover, tumbling whither fate will. 
well, if it do not, Pilatra-like, explode, and demount all the more tragically. So, riding on windbags, will men scale the Imperium. Or observe Herr Dr. Mesmer in his spacious magnetic halls. Long-stoled he walks, reverend, glancing upwards, as in rapt commerce, an antique Egyptian hierophant in this new age. Soft music flits, breaking fitfully the sacred stillness. Round their magnetic mystery, which to the eye is mere tubs with water, sit breathless, rod in hand, the circles of beauty and fashion, each circle a living circular passion-flower, expecting the magnetic afflatus and new manufactured heaven on earth. O women, O men, great is your infidel faith. A parlementary du port, a bergasse, d'Espremenil, we notice there. Chemist Berthollet, too, on the part of Monseigneur de Chartres. Had not the Academy of Sciences, with its Baileys, Franklins, Lavoisier, interfered? But it did interfere. Mesmer may pocket his hard money and withdraw. Let him walk silent by the shore of the Bodensee, by the ancient town of Constance, meditating on much. For so, under the strangest new vesture, the old great truth, since no vesture can hide it, begins again to be revealed. That man is what we call a miraculous creature, with miraculous power over men, and on the whole with such a life in him, and such a world round him, as victorious analysis, with her physiologies, nervous systems, physic and metaphysic, will never completely name, to say nothing of explaining, wherein also the quack shall, in all ages, come in for his share. End of section 10. Recording by Greg Golding, Georgetown, Ontario, Canada.